This is a Soulfire production. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Get Psyched. I'm your host, Lindsay, and after a week off to enjoy the 4th of July holiday, I'm so stoked to be back on the mic and sharing it with my friend, MDV, Matt De La Valle. Matt and I work together over at NC Fit, and he's our head programmer and chief fitness officer there. So to say that Matt is the creme de la creme when it comes to coaching would be the understatement of the century. Matt has such a robust background from being CrossFit level one seminar staff to coaching at CrossFit New England. And now in the role he is at NC Fit, the guy has done it all when it comes to fitness. What's really cool is that Matt brings his life experience to today's episode. We joked a little bit beforehand when Matt was like, whoa, 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 I don't know if I do woo-woo. I'm going to try my best for the Get Psyched show, but I don't know if I can go there. And y'all, he went there and did it in the most authentic, MDV-like way. We talk about what it was like to ditch the expectations and really the personality and identity crisis Matt went through when he decided not to be a lawyer and instead chase his passion, chase fitness, and exploring just that, that can passion pay the bills? No. Passion that works really fucking hard pays the bills. So for those of you that are interested in the coaching space, maybe those of you that have woke up at 30 years old and you're like, holy shit, I've been a coach for the last 10 years. I haven't been improving my resume or learning new skills or doing anything to push me forward in this. What do I do now? We address all of that in today's episode. You guys are going to love it. MDV is a wealth of knowledge and someone that I am so stoked to call my friend. Also, someone I'm really stoked to call my friend is all the folks over at Element, L-M-N-T. They are creating the best hydration supplement on the market. You guys, I literally have to stop myself from drinking multiple elements a day because A, they're absolutely delicious. B, they feel great for my body. And C, I just love them. I absolutely love this stuff. It's so easy to throw in my shaker bottle, take in the car, take to the gym, drink before a workout, drink after a workout when I've sweated really hard, sitting in the sauna and sipping on it. Element has absolutely changed the game for both my fitness and my recovery. So if you're interested in getting your hands on some, they are sending out sample packs. All you pay is the shipping. So why not give it a try? I'll throw all of that in the link in the show notes so that you guys can get involved with Elements and start sipping down this salty, delicious drink. Until next week, guys, enjoy the show. I'm so excited because I've been on your show. We've worked mm-hmm. together for the last few years. I feel yes, like we connected over NC Fit and then have found so many other things to dive into along the way. <laughs> um, so I know you, but yes. for listeners that are not familiar with who is the man, the myth, the legend, MDB, if you can give us a little intro. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today and wherever the conversation goes, I hope that we can get uh, a little woo-woo today on the Get Psyched podcast, but uh, 
Yeah, uh, my name is Matt Delavalle. Uh, MDV are my initials. I kind of fell into that being my nickname, my uh, de facto nickname in the CrossFit functional training space for some reason. It was actually my nickname my whole life growing up. Like everybody in my family is a something DV. My dad is ADV, my mom is KDV, sister CDV. Anyway, it's a little bit of an aside, but um, yeah, I am the chief fitness officer over at NC Fit. I've been doing CrossFit functional training coaching for about 15 years. Uh, I've been involved in fitness for about 25 years, I'm 37 years old now. So, you know, I started my fitness journey really uh, eighth, eighth grade, uh, getting into high school uh, as, a, as a freshman varsity wrestler. Uh, that didn't turn out all so great, but um, I ended up <clears throat> becoming an ocean lifeguard for about eight summers and fitness was a huge part of that. And then I just became enamored with the pursuit of, of health and fitness and found myself at 2006 doing my first CrossFit workout and then graduating law school in 2009 and then embarking on this weird roller coaster career that's eventually brought me to California and, and all these other places so hell yeah I resonate with that so much because I granted it was never law school but my undergrad is in pre-law I was like on track to be a lawyer oh and I had a professor that and this is my own fault. This is Lindsay's procrastination at its best. But I had a professor that all through undergrad was like, and he had been like a career politician and a lawyer and all the things, right? And was like, if you ever want to come to office hours and just talk about the field, talk about the industry, come do it. So I didn't take advantage of that until like three days before I was graduating. Ooh. And he was like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I have the LSAT and I have this and I have that. And he goes, why? I was like, well, because I just spent three years getting this degree and now that's like what I should do, right? I should go be the lawyer. I should go do all these things. And he looked at me and he goes, look, like you can totally do it, but you are absolutely going to hate it. The <laughs> you are, you are not going to enjoy this career field. And I, it just like took out my ego, like mm. straight to the face. And I looked at him, I was like, I'm doing this, right? Mm. I told myself I was doing this. And he goes, take a year off, go get experience. And if you still want to do it, any law school is going to take the person that went and got real life experience and has the GPA that you have, you'll be fine. And so I became a paralegal in the city in San Francisco. And I called him like two weeks into it, just crying. And I was like, you are so right. I hate this so much, but my ego wouldn't let me give up. And long story even longer, <laughs> when I got really fed up with it, I kind of looked and evaluated my life. I was like, well, what has always been there? What is something I really love and I'm passionate about that I do for me? And it was always fitness, right? Mm -hmm. I would leave the office. I'm sure you know what this is like. I would leave the office to go train. And people were like, you are going to be here all night long reading deposition transcript and doing all this. I was like, yeah, but if I don't give myself this hour, mm. you will not want to sit with me all night long mm. <laughs> reading these transcripts. And so what was that transition like for you to go from having this path that was, that seems so set in stone and so mm. caught up for you and so quote unquote successful to yeah. kind of risk it all and go with this passion? Yeah, law school. Um, so first of all, I think law school is a fantastic education. It, it, it probably doesn't teach you everything it needs to teach you in terms of the technical aspects of being a lawyer and what you're actually going to do when you get out. But it is an education in 
how to think, how to analyze a large amount of data and then give concise solutions, how to work with a seemingly endless amount of material and try to figure it all out and time manage and get it done. Uh, it's challenging in certain ways and, and really fulfilling in, in others. Um, I was good at law school. Uh, I happened to, to end up being top 10% of my class my first year. And the way that law school works is that if you do really well your first year, you get all these big interviews with these big firms and uh, they kind of court you uh, in your first year of grades, right? They look at your first year of grades, they, they make a bet on you. <clears throat> and I was again, fortunate to land a big job with a big firm in New York City, doing exactly the type of law that I wanted to do. I wanted to be involved in these like complex, big transactions called project finance. And um, a lot of lawyering these days if you're not working on like really unique stuff or if you're not working on stuff that's really interesting, it can get a little bit tedious. You're working with a lot of documents that have just been carbon copied over and over and over again. And you're re researching case law that's, uh, you know, standard. And then you're kind of putting it into a standard template. Uh, that's not all lawyering, but it's a good portion of it. But this project finance stuff was so freaking sexy and so alluring to me, and I was pumped up. So, you know, I ended up doing well my second and third year of law school, was graduating, uh, passed the New York State Bar, and then um, in 2008, 2009, the fucking economy collapsed. And uh, my law firm was one of the few who turned to their incoming associates and said, Hey, we're sorry. We just don't have a job for you anymore. So here's a little chump change and then you can go and uh, pound sand. And <clears throat> for me, that was really devastating because you spend um, three years of your life uh, kind of creating this vision of what your future is going to be like. You know, you have everybody and their mother telling you that you're going to graduate making 200K a year and that you're going to be wearing three piece suits. You'll be driving fancy cars, eating fancy meals and living a fast life. And I, I, at that point in my life, I was really enamored by that. I wanted that. And um, my building that I was working in was the 30 Rock building. I mean, it was as iconic as you could get. And uh, I ended up fucking mopping floors in a gym and making sandwiches in a deli in 2009 just to pay my bills. And uh, I tried to get back into lawyering for a very short amount of time. I had a, I had a nice resume. I got a lot of looks. Um, but what I quickly found out was that the industry was so uh, overrun with ta talent because <clears throat> lawyers who had two, three, four, five plus years of experience were all getting laid off at their firms because the economy was trash. So they're going to take these uh, offers at much lower rate than I was looking at and have much more experience. So essentially, I kind of graduated being untouchable uh, by any of these firms. I went to work for a small corporate firm on Long Island for a short period of time. And the guys there were really great. But uh, at that point, I, I kind of figured that if the career or the industry is going to treat me like this on my way in, how is it going to treat me all the way through? And I, uh, I started to make the connection that I wanted to do something that I was more deeply passionate about. And like I said, health and fitness had been such a big thing for me for so many years. And at that point, I was already doing CrossFit for three or four years and starting to get into the coaching aspect of things. And uh, I gambled. I uh, took a job opportunity in Boston with a uh, small startup equipment company and moved my life up there. And that was around the year 2009. I want to go back to where you said, you know, I went from graduating law school, 
having this idea of the $200,000 salary to start to mopping gym floors and making sandwiches. (laughs) What was that like? Because I know when I left, because I went to go work for Perfect Bar for those in the field that know Perfect Bar, people were like, what? Like you left this career path to go like sell peanut butter? What the fuck (laughs) are you doing? So what was that like? Oh, it was different, man. It was, um, you know, I... I have, I have no problem doing grunt work. I've been doing grunt work my whole life. You know, I, I was the grunt for my family, man. I was always uh, helping my dad out on every project under the sun. And, you know, I really enjoy getting my hands dirty and doing that kind of work. So I have no problem with checking my ego and mopping floors or, or getting a job at a deli to make sandwiches. It was a little bit surreal because literally, you know, you sit in the guidance counselor's office at law school and you go, well how am I going to pay off this debt? And they are just sitting there and they're like, oh, don't worry. Look at your grades. Look at the job offers you have. Look at all these things that you're going to be able to buy. And at that point, it was, it's kind of like a crisis of personality. You're stuck between this heavy burden of debt and this story that you've told yourself for the last three years. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, like I said, in a deli making sandwiches. And um, I, I really, I tried to enjoy the work as much as possible. I can't say that it wasn't stressful at times just because of the, um, those things I had mentioned prior, the expectation I had placed on myself and the debt. Um, but it was, uh, it was good in some ways because it allowed me to shed some of that early on that um, I didn't have to live out that vision or I didn't, I didn't necessarily have to go that route that uh, you know, people would still like and respect me even if I was just mopping floors or if I was just making sandwiches. And I did that for about six months or so. And then I took that job offer up in Boston. Um, But, you know, it's, it's really hard. I think for anybody who's been in that position where you might've had a a vision for what your life was going to be. And then you have something, uh, an event that changes that not only does that impact you personally and all the stuff that you have to think about from uh, an ego perspective and like, what's my life going to be and how am I going to do this? But you, your friends and family around you are going to look at you and go, oh, hey, what the hell are you doing? You just invested all this time, energy and money and you were good at this thing and you're going to run off to Boston and you know, take a job with a, a fitness equipment company. That's hard. That, that kind of pressure can be crushing for people. And I certainly empathize with anybody out there who's dealing with that, who's making a career switch and they have that external pressure. It's, that's difficult. It's almost more difficult sometimes than the pressure you're going to put on yourself. Yeah. Boundary setting with your family is tough. <laughs> um, yeah. Trying to, you know, out, I, for a long time, I tried to outrun the like expectation of my family mm. instead of just turning around and kind of confronting it being like, yeah. Hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, so did you have any practices? Did you just kind of fall into that being able to, it, it feels very much like uh, like you're letting them down in some way, even though you're not. Um, that's how that was my experience with it. Um, yeah. How did you kind of get through that? Uh, you know, it's it's tough to fault them too at a point. At a point, maybe there is some like, hey, listen, you got to get over this because I'm I'm moving on with my life and this is the path that I'm choosing. But they more than likely your family members and your friends want what's best for you, and they look at just the situation on the surface and they go, Oh, here's being a lawyer and here's working for a startup fitness equipment company. And you know, this, this job over here is very prestigious and comes with a lot of clout and comes with big paychecks and all this other cool stuff. And this job over here, you're going to have to work your ass off and start at the bottom and 
probably not make a whole lot of money for a while. So, you know, I think that um, it was difficult at the outset because there was some tension about that decision and some confusion about why I was choosing this route. Um, and then eventually it slowly kind of dissipated. And over time, I think my family and my friends came to accept the fact that, hey, this is the, the path that I chose. And it wasn't just like a, I wasn't doing this on a whim. This wasn't a highly emotional decision that this was actually a decision that I wanted to go and do this thing because I was so passionate about it. And I'm, I'm still going to be successful by the measures that you're going to put on it. It might just take me a little bit more time, but this is going to be ultimately much more fulfilling for me in those years that I'm investing into this thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to have a better work-life balance. I'm going to enjoy the people around me more. I'm going to enjoy the thing that I'm doing to a much greater extent. And maybe I would have enjoyed being a lawyer at a big firm in New York, but I also know that it would have come with a whole different level of stress. So, um, you know, the way that I look at my career in fitness is uh, obviously there all these different things that I ended up doing, you know, from working at this startup fitness equipment company to coaching at some of the best gyms in the world to working for CrossFit seminar staff, managing partnerships over at Reebok, ending up here at NC Fit. I, I was, um, some of that stuff that my friends and family put on me made me dead fucking set on making this the most successful journey that I could make it. And I'm, and I, I self motivate that way too. It's almost like bulletin board material where, I want people to doubt the fact whether or not I'm going to be able to do some of the stuff or whether or not I'm going to be able to quote unquote make it because it just gives me more fuel, more motivation, more discipline to continue pushing harder than anybody else around me. Yeah. I, I think that when you establish, you know, Simon Sinek talks about establishing your why mm, and sure. how big that has to be and how true it has to be to you so that when you do, you know, get to those experiences and whether that's someone doubting you and you can say, hold my beer, watch me. <laughs> or, you know, you can have some really devastating conversations and still know that you're connected to that source, connected to that why. I think that's so, so, so powerful and important. How do you, if you could say something or impart any wisdom on people getting into coaching, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, you and I were talking about this before the show, we meet yeah. so many people in this industry that are so passionate about it. Um, but like you said before, like passion doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. So how do you marry a world that you're passionate about and then also be successful in doing so? Yeah. That's, this is a really interesting topic because, um, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm like the poster child for pursuing passion in some ways. You know, I, like, I left this really traditional career that was on this quote unquote rocket ride to the top with a big New York firm. And I left it not because I necessarily wanted to leave it. I was forced to based on the uh, situation going on with the, the economy, but I ended up having to make a decision to go this other direction. And I chose to pursue my passion. The thing that I think happens sometimes is that people confuse passion with enjoyment and fun and I'm not saying that your career shouldn't be enjoyable and shouldn't be fun. It should be. But there certainly is a danger of going into something and and being too comfortable or just being okay with it being easy. And, you know, in just my own world of coaching, um, if we're talking about being a fitness coach, 
there are ways that you can cheat yourself into making yourself think that this is the e this is easy this is fun i can do this every day i can wake up um you know at whatever time i want to wake up and set my own hours and make uh some hourly money and roll up to the gym in sweatpants and have a lot of fun and give high fives to members and work out as much as i want and i can go home and rinse wash and repeat and i can do that yeah that's great but you know that's cool when you're 22 23 24 years old when you're 34 35 36 years old that's not fucking very cool anymore when you're struggling to pay your bills or you want to start a family and you're looking at yourself and going how how do i set this up to be more sustainable and um your passion it doesn't need to just be a hobby it actually should be more than that it should be more than just hobbyism that you're going out there and trying to pursue i, I really believe that like you can be crazy successful in any measure of how you want to define success, whether that means fulfillment or uh, like enjoyment and being with people who you really like and collaborative efforts and also the, the monetary aspect of it and the status aspect of things. You can be incredibly successful pursuing your passion. You just have to work really hard. You know, the, the, the best woodworker in the world is making tons and tons and tons of money. The best janitor in the world is making tons and tons and tons of money. The best fitness coaches in the world are doing that as well. And they've achieved a certain level of success and probably fulfillment and enjoyment through doing something that they love, but also they've achieved a really sustainable long-term career that they're going to be able to support themselves and their family through. So, you know, I think that the, there's a certain allure to, to becoming a coach, you know, and if you've ever stepped into a, <clears throat> a CrossFit gym or a functional training gym or, you know, a community-based gym, a group atmosphere where you're dealing with like-minded people and the vibes are right. The music is good. Everybody's happy to see you every time that you walk in. And if you're the coach, you're the fucking shit there when you walk in and everybody's even more happy to see you. And it becomes addicting to uh, continue to walk through that door day after day and be that guy who shows up. And that's awesome. And you can certainly do that and be happy and you can make a little bit of money and you can certainly help a lot of people through that pursuit. The other side of that is that you can also end up being very, very comfortable and that you can hemorrhage a few years off of your life and you can take a look up and go, I've been doing this for five years and I'm still making 20 bucks per hour and I haven't made any inroads into professionalizing myself or branching out or doing anything else. And there's also all these little kind of like, um, tangential traps off of things like the fitness career, right? Where you say, Oh, I'm going to go and be a coach, but I actually have my eyes set on, I want to be an athlete. I want to be a professional athlete. And that's even more dangerous when you're thinking that you have this ability to go out there and make a lot of money or achieve a certain level of success as a professional athlete in fitness where 0.001% of the people who actually get into that actually end up getting there and and uh, you can again uh, watch years months and days of your life tick off the calendar and then uh, end up being in your mid-30s and having not a whole lot to show for it uh, and and end up not being as fulfilled as you thought you might have been because you go oh boy uh, I almost have to start over now where do I go yeah. So if those people are in that space of like, oh my gosh, I just popped my head up out of this time warp and here I am in my thirties. 
and I am passionate. I do want to do this, but I don't know how, or I don't know where to start, or is it too late now? If I want to be a professional coach, what do I do? Um, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, you got to look at the people who are doing it well. Um, look at the people who are out there who in, inspire you, who are pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone, who are innovating, who are creating new things or making opportunities for themselves or for others around them. There's a lot of people doing that right now, probably more than ever, especially with everything that happened with COVID and having to make these really crazy pivots from uh, in gym fitness and in person fitness being mostly like a person to person thing. And now there's this barrier. There was this barrier for this long period of time where it was screen to person or email to person or whatever electronic communication to person. And there's a lot of people who either drowned in that and didn't know how to transition, but there's also a lot of people that thrive and a lot of companies that thrive. So, you know, you can look at other people out there who are doing what you might want to do and, and study them or reach out to them and ask them questions. You know, one thing that I noticed about the fitness industry is that most people are much more imminently reachable than you might think. Um, you know, obviously there's a limit to this. The people who have 1 million, 2 million, 3 million followers are probably not all day in their DMs answering every question that comes on through. But you see somebody with like 50,000 followers or less and you're like, man, this person's out there killing it. And they're really like doing a great job of uh, creating their own personal brand or selling their themselves to the public and giving them uh, opportunities to go do these great things. I, I want to know where did they get started? What's their thought process like? You can hit those people up via Instagram and I bet a good portion of them are going to respond to you. Um, it's a really um, interesting industry that way. It's not so big where um, some of these people who are top performers are, are so far out of reach. Um, you know, it, it's never too late to, that's the other thing. I, 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 I want to be careful in, in talking through this where I, I get a little bit mm, almost like a terminal sometimes when I talk about these things where I'm like, you know, if you're, if you haven't put in the work before your X age, you know, you got to go out, you, you might've wasted some time. You're really never quote unquote st stuck. I mean, uh, yeah, maybe at some point you get, your clock is running a little too close to the, to the end. And you, you might've had to figure some things out. Maybe if you're like 65, 75 years old and you're like, Oh, well, what do I do now? Um, you might've should have thought about that 30 years ago, but you know, in the, in the middle of your life, you know, you can take some chances. You have some bullets that you can say, Oh, I'm going to go and try and try and do this or, Hey, this didn't work out. I'm going to give this other thing a year. Um, that's one of those things that I think people forget sometimes that, uh, you truly never are stuck. There's some things that you might be responsible for, whether or not you have a house, a mortgage, kids, wife, and you have to think about those kinds of things when you're making these decisions because it doesn't just impact you. It impacts those people who are very close to you and those things that are very close to you. But um, a lot of times there's a, a greater level of, of freedom in making some of those decisions than, than people think. Um, it's not endless, but uh, you can certainly change uh, if you want to. What I really love that you keep touching on in a way is like this radical responsibility. You have responsibility for your life, your decisions, you know, so often we want to take responsibility for everyone else. Yeah. And that's, you know, in my opinion, that's, you know, a seeking control or, or something like that. Um, but where did you kind of develop this sense of 
of radical responsibility and of being willing to like make the hard choices and do the hard things. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that. Um, you know, I, I was weak, man, at, at, at points in my life and still am at points in my life. But like, I look back on some of my <clears throat> high school experiences or the things that I did and said in high school. And I just look at somebody who probably needed a good boost of character and toughness and, and, and grit or, or just like a slap across the face of perspective. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are in that same boat, but you know, I think the, <clears throat> some of the earliest lessons obviously came from, from my mom and my dad. Uh, my dad is the hardest worker that I've ever met. <clears throat> my mom is, uh, she's a very loving person, but she's also, she, she rides me really hard in terms of what she thinks that I'm capable of doing. So, you know, in college, I got a 3.92 GPA. She asked me why I didn't get a 4.0. It was like one of those kinds of relationships. Um, and at times that was really suffocating for me because I was like, well, why can't you just be happy? And, uh, you know, I look back on it now and go, well, it did push me to a whole nother level of, um, uh, what I might be able to accomplish or what I'm capable of. The other thing is that, you know, when I was, when I was younger, 17, 18 years old, I was an ocean lifeguard and I took that job really, really seriously. And, um, you know, it certainly had a lot of days when it was a lot of fun in the sun and there was parties the night before and you would show up to the beach the next day, a little bit worse for wear. But, you know, most of the time, uh, especially on big days or days when it was hectic, like we were responsible with life or death consequences of what happened that day. And I took that job really seriously. And that really taught me a whole lot about being somebody who is, uh, can be relied upon somebody who's consistent, somebody who's going to put their physical training, uh, and their skills, uh, on the line and, and really hone those every single day, show up to work, ready to work out, ready to drill. Um, and I was, uh, I was one of those guys that, that did the job that way. And not everybody was like that, but that was the way that I did it. Um, I think ultimately also the whole um, career change uh, that I made, that also instilled a level of uh, personal responsibility for uh, the decisions that I was going to make because, you know, I'm, I'm going to go this route. I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue passion. And I'm going to make this work no matter what. And I'm going to have this looming thing that's sitting here over me the entire time, this Uncle Sam uh, burden of debt that, uh, you know, I'm still working to pay off. And I have to accept that. And that sometimes that's been really crushing for me. Um, and I've had my own weak moments. I've talked to a lot of people about this, about how do I deal with this? What am I going to do? It's never going to go away. But ultimately, I have to accept that this is my reality. I chose to do this. I was the one who submitted the law school applications. I signed the paperwork on the loans. I, if I wanted to do more research about what I was getting into, I was 21 years old. I probably should have done that. Um, and uh, for better or for worse, this is where I am. And I, I am going to make this work. And this thing over here, this burden does not define me, but I'm responsible for it. And uh, that's the way that I look at that. That's so powerful. <laughs> It really is because there are so many people that can play the victim or woe is me. And, and, you know, I was asked to make this decision in, yeah. in not even law school, but like think undergrad, right. I was 18 years old and, yeah. 
you know, I think that there's a lot that our system and our society does to ask us to make decisions that we're really clearly not ready to make. Um, and then the woo-woo side of Lindsay is like, well, we also don't have anything in Western culture that is like a rite of passage in a way mm. that other cultures may have. Um, and I think that that is so, so powerful to learn what you're capable of. When my back is up against the wall or I'm staring fear in the face or the unknown is right ahead of me, we're not set up to, to experience that. Yeah. I don't think. Maybe, you know, listeners, if you have another opinion on that or you have an experience, please share it. Mm. But I don't think that we get that ingrained in our culture as much as other people may. Uh, I, I think I would agree with you. Um, I, I also think that a lot of times we, I don't want to say celebrate, but we condone a victim's mindset on things where that is a really dangerous position to take. I, I really do believe that. Um, if, you're, if you're constantly blaming other people and things for your circumstances, it just ends up being this self-fulfilling prophecy where you, you're never going to get out of it. Nobody is, well, the one thing that I've learned about life and, and this profession in particular is that like, nobody's going to fucking save me. Nobody is going to come up to me and say, oh, I feel so bad for you that you went through law school and you have this debt and that you chose this career path. Here's this amazing job and this perfect life. And here's a hundred thousand dollars that you can get out of debt with right now. Nobody's going to fuck. That's not going to happen. Okay. So I have to be active in my own salvation. I have to accept the fact that I made these decisions. I have to live with them to some extent. That doesn't mean I have to just pretend that they're not there and ignore them. That means I have to be active in making sure that I'm making better decisions going forward or setting myself up for success to make those things non-existent, non-factors in my life anymore. The whole idea that like you're going to sit there and blame your past for your present day struggles for me is really, really difficult. And listen, I've, I understand there's a lot of people out there who experience way worse things than me. And I have no real ground to stand on and telling those people that they can't feel a certain way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying at some point, if you are looking to break free of the things that hold you down, that you have, you can't let them define your life. You have to figure out a way to get out from underneath those crushing burdens, whatever they are. Yeah, it's the difference between yes and and yes but. Because I think that acknowledging your experience, acknowledging your past, acknowledging your trauma, whatever it is, you need to get validated for the fact that it happened. Because if you just deny its existence mm -hmm. and repress it, like that's not healthy either. So if you say, yes, this happened, but, you know, my life's in shambles because of it and I can't hold on to a relationship or I have all this debt or whatever, you know, it's like that excuse or justification mindset. But if it's like, yes, this happened and I'm going to do this and mm. I learned from it and this is how I'm choosing to heal, that's such a different framing of, yeah. of our existence and of, of our past. Yeah. And you know, we've been talking a lot about career and whys, and I want to get your opinion on the same kind of concept, but for people taking radical responsibility for their health, because yeah. there's times, you know, you and I were talking a few days ago, um, 
I got a diagnosis recently and I'm pissed because I have to cut out all of the things that I love from my diet. Yeah. But I'm also like, well, yeah, Lindsay, and you're kind of in this situation because you ate like a shithead for a year. So <laughs> responsibility and I'm like, you know, moving forward. So how do you start to talk to people or incentivize people or meet them where they're at and say, hey, like, yes, this is happening or yes, you have this diagnosis. Yes, you have this and take responsibility for your health. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I got to I really appreciate this conversation. You're asking a lot of great questions. This is awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've come to realize is that um, I don't think that I cert I'm certainly not going to change everybody's mind. It's not possible. I, 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 I don't have a big enough platform. I don't have a big enough voice. I, and I don't know whether or not this whole concept of you can change everybody's thought on this is even possible for anybody. You know, whether or not you're talking about somebody like Joe Rogan or Barack Obama, whoever, like, they have certain views that they're going to put out there and the people who are ready to listen to them will listen. Same thing with me, you know, the, the people who are ready to listen to the things that I have to say, or the things that I've seen and experienced and how I believe or, or, or the, how I might recommend they move forward. Those are the people that, uh, I want to impact. Um, I'm certainly going to hit a lot of people with deaf ears, just like Joe Rogan or Barack Obama are going to hit a lot of people with deaf ears and the numbers are just bigger. Um, I do think that maintaining your health uh, and your fitness does fall under the category of personal responsibility. I also do believe that it falls under the category of the greater societal responsibility that there are, large impacts to people's health and fitness uh, when big swaths of people do not take care of it. You know, whether or not you're actually talking about the pure monetary cost of it, the, the pressure on the system, the health system, the amount of money that we pay into certain, uh, whether it's funds or whether it's uh, Medicare, Medicaid, or, or how much we spend on healthcare every year in the United States, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it all, it all comes down to, um, not all, but it comes down to a lot of times the decisions that people are making and how people are maintaining their health and their fitness. And like I said, there's societal and personal impacts to that. Um, one of the clearest examples of that is, you know, as we've gone through these past two years of uh, a really nightmarish kind of scenario and uh, nightmarish in the sense that this was something that we have never really seen in our lifetime before. We've never really seen a global pandemic. In the senses of global pandemics, uh, it actually probably is, um, and I, I'm not trying to say this to be unsensitive or insensitive to anybody out there who had had COVID or lost somebody who, who had COVID, but this wasn't something that was killing two, five, seven, 10% of the population. You know, this is, this is something that a certain set, certain segments of people were very, very uh, heavily impacted. And um, you know, a, a lot of that had to deal with these things called comorbidities. And a lot of the comorbidities had to deal with years and years and years of not 
properly investing in your health, nutrition, or in your fitness. And um, again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm not trying to call anybody out, but that's just the facts. And, you know, when you start to look at it that way, you begin to understand that there are some real consequences to not maintaining your health and fitness, let alone, uh, regardless of whether or not you're looking at them from, Hey, this is going to impact my mortality. It might impact my mortality, whether or not I'm going to be able to actually continue on in this life and live out my, my years, or how is it going to impact the, the people around me or the society around me? So, um, I, I do believe that health and fitness is a, is a responsibility. Um, it can also become uh, a little bit of an obsession for people. You can go too deep down that path. It can become too all consuming. I'm not saying that that's the way that we should go, but you know, being physically active and making sound choices with your nutrition, I think ultimately if you're doing those things consistently for many years, you end up in a better state than if you were choosing a sedentary lifestyle or you were choosing a highly processed artificial non-whole food diet. That's where I'm at. (laughs) So how do you achieve that balance? Because I know when, especially when I was coaching full-time and around an industry where everyone looks like a Greek god or goddess and there's this total emphasis on fitness and your macros and what's Mm. in your fucking Tupperware and all of these things. And during that time in my life, when I was competing and I was arguably my strongest and my leanest, I was living off of like egg whites and diet Coke and these things that fit my macros, but inside were making me sick. Like Mm. I was so, so, so sick inside. And every time I would see people, it was like, Oh my God, you look great. And I was like, really? Because I'm restricting calories and the calories that I am eating are not whole foods, are not great for me. But I was chasing that carrot, right? Mm. Until my body physically broke and was like, hey, I'm planting you on your ass for a second. Going to give you this like slap in the face of reality and tell you to reevaluate some things. And you know, I do take the responsibility for, I think my body whispered that for a long time and I like Mm. taped it and iced it and, and said, go away. Um, but how do you balance that? I want to eat a clean lifestyle. I want to prioritize fitness and not let it go overboard, not let it be all consuming, not let me become that person that's constantly in comparison with the Instagram model. Yeah, it's hard. It, It is really hard because, um, a lot of what's shown out there for health and fitness are just the nice butts and the great abs and the, Hey, I've measured everything in this Tupperware and this is the only way that I eat. And this is my 225 pound snatch. And you end up feeling pretty bad about your yourself. Um, you know, you can end up feeling pretty bad about yourself if you don't have some perspective there. Um, I think a couple of things, Lindsay, I think number one is you have to have a really keen understanding of uh, what's important to you and what your goals are. And if your goals are to look a certain way or perform a certain way, or, you know, train for a certain competition, then you might have to do some things that might look or sound a little bit more extreme than uh, some other people. And as long as you're making those decisions and you're aware of the decisions that you're making and the potential impacts that they could have, I think that who am I to say that that's not 
an important goal for somebody. Um, you just have to know that there could be some potential downsides to that. Um, you know, I think for most people, <clears throat> fitness has become conflated on social media with, like I just said, you know, abs and butts. And most people need consistency. They need to just be moving their body and eating uh, more whole foods, less processed foods, less sugar. Uh, and they need to be doing that consistently. And that is a really good recipe for longevity. Now, what you just noticed about what I said is fucking boring as hell. You know, when I'm talking about abs and butts and 225 pounds snatch and the angle that you're going to take with the down lighting, that's really cool. It's really great. It looks awesome. Uh, it's going to get a ton of likes. The fact that you show up to the gym five times a week and you work hard a couple of those days and you work consistently a bunch of other of those days and then you are really consistent with your your nutrition and you're making sound food choices and you know that that's not as sexy it's not as as cool um the that's the that's really the paradox there is that the stuff that will take you to where you probably where most people probably need to be is the stuff that nobody's really talking about. Um, I think it's, I think it comes down to leveling with people. So the vast majority of people who cross the threshold of the NC fit gyms or the vast majority of people who I talk to about fitness and health, they are everyday people. They're just people who have jobs, who have families, who have commitments, who have things going on in their life. And most of them are getting into fitness because they either want to feel or look better. And that's great. That, that's, an, that's an awesome reason to come into the gym. I think the earlier that coaches can start talking about consistency and longevity and uh, really setting yourself up for success and you're going to look and feel better, but you, we want you to look and feel better, not just after a 30-day cleanse and challenge, but we want you to look better after 300 days. And we want you to continue on for another 300 days after that. This is, we're playing the long game here. You know, that's, that is the type of language that I think coaches should be using in, in talking to people. And, you know, not only will it give your athletes some better perspective, but you know, hopefully you're ending up retaining athletes for longer underneath your, your care. And you don't, they don't have to be with you forever, but you don't want to try to promise everybody uh, that within 30 days that you're going to change their whole life uh, because it's a lot of times it's not possible. And two, I think you're setting people up for, for some failure or at least a humongous crash after the 30 days of complete <clears throat> rigidity or crazy workouts ends. So um, longevity and consistency. Yeah. Not sexy. It's, no. it is, that is the, the key ingredients to success, but it is not as sexy as the immediate gratification that we all are looking for. Something that you posted about, I want to say it was just a couple of days ago, maybe even yesterday. Um, and something I've been kind of grappling with, which is funny to say it that way, because uh, <laughs> you talked about jujitsu yeah. was becoming a beginner. Oh, and yeah. Oh my gosh. I will just say it. My ego is so big when I am a beginner and I fucking hate it. And it's something, you know, I just got into jujitsu. I'm getting back oh, yeah. into surfing and the amount of times I have to check my ego on the regular. And instead of seeing that person that's the black belt or absolutely fucking ripping on the wave and being like, 
disappointed in myself for not being there using a reframe of like, Hey, they were where I was at one point and I've got to be able to stick through it. Yeah. What do you use to be able to go into something with a beginner's mindset and knowing that you're a stud athlete and that you have the capacity to be really good? How do you kind of blend those two worlds? Uh, you're asking murderer's row of questions here, Lindsay. These are great. Um, it's really hard for me, honestly. Uh, I, I post some of those things sometimes to remind myself that I need to have that mindset. Uh, I like to do things well. Uh, I like to be a high performer. I like to pick things up fast. I like to be the person who is a few classes in and they're already going, oh, wow, how, how many years has that person been doing this? Wow, three classes? Crazy. It just hasn't been that way for me with jujitsu. You know, it, it, it is a completely new discipline for me. N new in so far that I hadn't done anything like that for 20 years. You know, I was a wrestler in high school and certainly some of those habits and some of those feelings and positions have paid off for me on the mats. But these are all new movements, uh, all new positions, all new ways of thinking about my body. And uh, it, it has been tough. Um, I have to check my ego and I have to do a better job of continuing to check my ego. And it will be years and years and years and years. And no matter how far I get in that pursuit, whether or not I'm a white belt for life or whether or not I end up graduating and moving up in the belts, I am certain that my ego is going to get checked and rechecked for many years to come through jujitsu. Uh, the, one of the biggest things that's been important for me with uh, being in that practice is the fact that it allowed me to have a certain level of empathy and connection back to athletes in the fitness realm and the group training, functional fitness realm that I probably lost touch with over the years of doing it. You know, uh, when I go into a jujitsu class, I have fucking forgotten everything that I've learned in the past two classes. And, you know, when I was coaching fitness classes, I used to be like, how did you forget what a thruster is? We just did a thruster last week, or we just did a thruster earlier this week. And I would look with bewilderment at the athlete who's looking back at me with bewilderment and going, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. I've never heard that word before thruster. And now I know, now I remember. And you know, it's so critical for coaches to have that level of empathy with people through the learning process and people who are new or who are struggling to be able to connect with them and not just feel bad for them. I'm not saying empathy is not just feeling bad for them. Empathy, empathy is deeply understanding where that person is coming from and being able to relate to what they're feeling, not put yourself necessarily either in their shoes and not be like, oh, I know what you're going through. At some level, maybe, yeah, but you're also just having a deep level of un, of kind of like feeling with that person for that person. So it's been huge for me. Um, I can't recommend it enough to anybody out there to go out and, and try something new, whether or not it's jujitsu or another combat sport or anything else that's a new discipline to you. One of the reasons I really like combat sports is that there's something very deeply primal and uncomfortable about it for just about anybody who goes into it, that you are pitting yourself against another human being in a fight, uh, a fight that has a way out. You can tap and you can tell your partner, Hey, I need to slow down, which is great. 
but you're also going into a fight sometimes and uh, putting yourself in that position is, is deeply uncomfortable. Absolutely. When I, cause there's not many things now. I mean, at the beginning to go back to what you were saying, there's so much to be said about being a conscious coach and having compassion for somebody and the experience they're going through and nothing will inspire that compassion more than being a beginner again mm. yourself. Um, but it's been a really long time since I have looked at a CrossFit workout and not at least in my head known, okay, this is what a 95 pound barbell is going to feel like. This is how I'm going to cycle sure. it. This is where I'm going to rest. So when I got into jujitsu, I was like, this isn't an inanimate object. <laughs> There's a person with a conscience and a soul and that's stronger than me and is more skilled than I am. And every single time I put on that gi, I don't know. I'm wrestling, literally wrestling with the unknown. Yeah. It's not this bar anymore. So I couldn't agree more with how primal and, and how cool it feels to put your body to that test and in those positions because, I mean, fuck, it's what we did for so long, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I keep waiting for that moment where I can have my gladiator moment, like, are you not entertained? Because <laughs> I'm so entertained with all of it while I'm there. Just make sure you don't kick anybody in the sternum. Yeah, exactly. Spartan kick them. Yeah. <laughs> kick them into the hole. Yeah. Uh, MDB, thank you so oh, much for this conversation. This is so okay. awesome. And I think that whether you are a fitness coach or in the healing space in any capacity, that this conversation means so much to all of those listening. So thank you so much. Thank if you. people want to get a hold of you, want to watch your journey, see the oh. information that you're putting out, where do they do it? Instagram is the best way to find out more about me. I'm at MDV underscore FIT. If you're looking to check out some of the stuff that we're doing at NC Fit, you can check us out at nc.fit on uh, the interwebs. And then also uh, on social media as well. And we're putting out some really cool stuff, not only for athletes. we got a new app that's out there, but also for gym owners and coaches. If you're looking to step your game up, the NC Fit Collective is the place to do it. And uh, what about your podcast? Oh, yeah, almost forgot. Almost <laughs> forgot. Thanks for the reminder. Uh, I have a podcast. It's called The Intro with MDV. I have new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for the reminder. Of course, I gotta throw it in there because yeah. it's an epic, epic show, you guys. Thank you so much, MDB. I look forward to doing Thank it again. You, Lynn.